It's great to be back. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I wasn't here last week. I don't know if you, you knew that or not. Uh, it, it's cool. My family and I, we got a great week at the beach. It was a little rainy, but it's perfect, restful, so it was great. We love going down to the Outer Banks. And so uh, grateful to, to be able to do that with our staff and volunteers. And uh, Tim Cole, who came and preached, uh, if you weren't here this past uh, Sunday, uh, Tim was here and he and his family actually started, planted Velocity, and we continue to partner with him. He's the executive director for Waypoint Church Planters. And I know if you were here, he talked about all that, all that good stuff, but we continue to get to start uh, great new churches that are reaching people who are far from God. And so it's great to hear him and him to come back. I actually, you know, got to got to watch the sermon and all that kind of stuff. And so, so that was great. Um, you know, we exist as a church to partner with other churches to reach people um, who don't know Jesus. You know, that, that's why we're here. In case you didn't know that, that's, that's why we're here. So it's great to, to have him here. Uh, so like Sarah mentioned, we took a week break from our Beatitudes sermon series. And so just a couple quick hitting reminders. Beatitude is Latin for blessing. And this word blessing means happy. And so when Jesus is talking about this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you, you could think of this in terms of, oh, these are, these are ways in which Jesus challenges our thinking on what happiness is or divine favor is or what it means to have fortune in our lives. In many ways, what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is a very upside-down way of viewing the world, and that is how we could think of God's kingdom. It's very upside-down from how humans generally default naturally think about what life is, how it goes, what it means to be blessed and happy in our lives. And as we talked about these Beatitudes, we're, uh, we're getting into uh, a, another one uh, this morning. I challenge you guys at the beginning, Sarah mentioned this, to, to memorize these, kind of put this into your hearts and into your minds, because it challenges our perspective and our character, helps us to kind of understand how God views, views the world, world. And so I'm going to, I have these memorized, but it's always like when you're, when you're challenging other people to memorize them with you and then you're going to say it, I'm always thinking in the back of my, my head as I'm saying, oh, I'm going to mess these up. I just know it's going to happen. So you can just trust I have these memorized, but let's see, let's see what's going to, what's going to happen. So in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can say them with me. If, if you want to, it might mess me up, but it's cool. If you've been memorizing, you can, you can, uh, you can say them with me. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is not your typical path to happiness. But then it shouldn't be surprising at all that happiness on our own merits and on our own power often seems to be elusive. Unless you are the person who is happy all the time, no matter what happens in your life, if you have that secret, please share it with me afterwards so I can share it with everyone, everyone else. The other thing, the other problem we have with our happiness is we often base it on the wrong things. The great social experiment of our day is to continue to look further inward in the deep layers of our hearts and souls and minds and develop our blessing or our happiness from within whatever natural tendency we might find there. And instead of taking life on its highs and lows as being in it together, you know, built on a co common foundation, we're more individually focused than ever and feel more alone than ever. And that is definitely not the path to happiness. That experiment isn't 
working. And this next beatitude from Jesus has some serious depth packed into it that singles out one of our biggest problems uh, in making happiness elusive in our life, why a blessing can seem like it's far away. And Jesus says in this next, next beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, for a church that says no perfect people allowed, you might think, oh, wait, do we have a little bit of a different approach than Jesus here? Because he's uh, pure in heart. I mean, that sounds pretty close to being perfect in life. You might think that there's a contradiction there, uh, but it, it's, all, it's all because the way we approach purity is different from how God approaches it. Now, when I think of purity, I think of cleanliness and I think of quality. And so I think about the time when I went out and picked Renee's engagement ring. So my wife, Renee, I, I, I bought her an engagement ring and I asked her to marry me. I fancy that. You're like, oh, I never guessed that. And when I went, I don't know if you've ever shopped for an engagement ring, but you know, I, I mean, and if you're in the jewelry business, like it's totally cool. I get it. But you know, like they're going to have some marketing, you know, for you to, as someone who doesn't, I, it was the only engagement ring I'd ever bought. Okay. So I had like, I wasn't practiced at, at this. So I'd go in, go in to buy. And the thing that catches my eye wasn't the size of the diamond or how big the ring was or anything like that. For me, it was what got me in the marketing standpoint was the color and the clarity. You guys know what I'm talking about when I, when I say this, the color and the clarity. And, and I went through the whole thing where they're like, hey, you can even take this diamond if you pick this out and stuff. You can look at it under a microscope and you can see how clear it is. And you can see on the color scale, you know, like on one side, I think it's, I think it's, I, I don't even really remember, but on the one side, it's like more yellow or the other side, it's more like a blue hint to light or something like that. And you, you can look through the microscope and it's all clear and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't, I knew I didn't want to get Renee like this huge gaudy big, big ring or anything like that. But I knew that I wanted to have some bling, you know, you know what I'm saying? I, just, just a little bit, a little bit of sparkle there. And so I went for the color and Claire, it even came with this little booklet you know, that had the stats on there and every and everything. And so, you know, like when I asked Renee to marry me and she saw the ring, I said, hey, dude, you got to check out the booklet because I picked out. No, like she didn't care about that at all. Like, I don't even know where that is. It's buried in a file cabinet somewhere. We haven't looked at it since or anything like that. But that was the thing that got me is the clarity and, and, uh, and, the, and the quality. Um, all of us have something, though, that we, that we know that we want to be pure. That's why 24 karat gold is more expensive than 14 karat gold, right? 14 karat gold has more impurities. It has other metals mixed in, so it's less valuable. It's less precious. We like our food to be pure. We like our water to be pure. Uh, some of you are like, oh, I got to get my Fiji water. No, I don't, actually, I don't think that's the case. I don't think anybody's like, I got to get my Fiji water. And I'm like, I want my good, clean well water. Um, our dogs, you know, breeds, you know, sometimes we want those to be pure. The list goes on. We all have varying degrees of what we believe is most important. Just don't ever look up the legal amounts of unwanted things that are allowed to be in your coffee grinds. All right. So I don't, some of you are like, wait, you're blowing my mind here. Just don't, just don't look that up. Here, here's the thing, though. As much as I, I, you know, pure in heart for me, you know, I think about purity in terms of cleanliness and, and quality. When I really get deep into, like, my natural tendencies, pure in heart for me probably means, on my definition, not, not God's, is things being exactly the way I want them to be. So in, in terms of how I think of what's right and what's wrong. So like when I talk to my kids about the right way to do something, there probably are a couple other different ways to do it, but my way is the right way. Can anybody relate to that? 
So I think pure in heart and somebody, yeah, thank you. All right, we got some kindred spirits in here. So when I, when I think, or just people that are willing to be honest, um, you know, so when I think about pure in heart, sometimes when I think about my definition of it, it's, it's how I think life should be, how I think everybody else should live. And if somebody doesn't measure up to that standard, then there's something wrong with them. And I think that's probably the darker side of purity, the way that we think about it in our own, own definitions, in our own hearts, and why this is something that Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes. Because Jesus is showing us a way to a blessed life that is different from our definitions. It's based on how God views life and how he views things. And so the scary thing about purity in heart is sometimes that leads us to be in very divided, very um, self-righteous and self-interested in ways that God never created us to be. And it doesn't bring much happiness at, at all. In these Beatitudes, Jesus is showing uh, the way that God has called us to live. God has, has called us to, to view the world. He's, re- he's revealed part of his character and nature to us. And Jesus says that purity has something to do with that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus perhaps has this Old Testament passage from Psalm chapter 24 in mind when he, uh, when he talks about this. In Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4, we read this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And so we might have our own definitions of pure in heart, but how do, what does God's perspective look like? We know it means uncontaminated. You know it means wholesome. It's holy, and it is nothing else. You know, think about pure water. It's just H2O, right? There's no other chemicals or other things added uh, that, are, that are in it. And when, when the Bible uses the word heart in a number of different ways, pure in heart, this phrase, it refers to our physical, you know, our heart could, you know, mean our physical blood pumping organ, you know, but that's not exactly what this is talking about. It's talking about our hearts, our minds, our souls, our emotional center, our thinking, our feeling is the center of our, of our being. And when Jesus says this, there's two connotations that come along with it in this purity uh, of heart that God is talking about. Uh, the two connotations are cleanliness Cleanness, cleanness, and sincerity. Purity is cleanness. In Jesus' day, one of the Jewish sects was known as the Pharisees. And in many ways, they were the prominent religious leaders of the day. And this sect started out with a true desire to be clean. They wanted to follow God's law purely. But by the Jesus' time, the Pharisees were also synonymous with being legalists and hypocrites. They were more worried about following the laws than the heart behind the laws, and so they actually made it made a ton, hundreds of additions to those things, and trying to um, make what God had said into something that they believed they could accomplish. The Pharisees were obsessed with ceremonial cleanness, and because of that, they looked good and they looked religious on the outside, but on the inside, they were way far off of the mark. Jesus goes at them a number of times, but um, one of the most strongest. Uh, condemnations that Jesus brings to them is found in Matthew chapter 23. Let me read a small section. This is Jesus talking uh, to the teachers of the law and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's great imagery right there. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. All right, so very different language, very different way of of speaking the things that Jesus says about, about these people. Man, that's harsh. And maybe sometimes we don't, you know, think of Jesus speaking this way or thinking in this way, but man, there's such a big difference between having outward you know, an outward facade of everything in my life is, is perfect, it's right, it's exactly how I feel it should be, and this is the standard by which everybody else should live. And the condition of our inward life, our heart and our thought process and the motivations and perspective from which all those things come from. And Jesus was fed up with the status uh, religious quo of the day because it had nothing to do with the character and heart and nature of God and how he had called us uh, to live. The Pharisees looked externally you know, to everybody else. It's like, oh, this must be what it looks like to be a follower and disciple of God. But they were, they were completely off the mark. The Pharisees were obsessed with cleanness, but it didn't infiltrate their heart. And you might wonder how someone can make, make that judgment about somebody else. But it's in plain view when we treat others with our own self-interest and self-righteousness leading the way. You can can tell when you look at somebody's motivation behind what they say and what they think and what they believe, you can tell if it's self-directed or God-directed. The Pharisees were pure in heart in the sense that nothing was ever good enough for them outside of their own expectations. I can relate to this just a little bit, and maybe some of you can too. When nothing is ever good enough for you though, Eventually, you're just going to make yourself and everyone around you miserable because not even you can live up to your own standards. But there is an answer for that, and it's the purity of heart and spirit that God offers through Jesus. Much of Jesus' audience was having a hard time seeing God because they were not a part of the religious elite. They were not wealthy, and those who were pure in heart based on those metrics of success wouldn't allow them to see God in the way that God wanted them to. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we think about cleanness, you know, we think of an outward cleanness or an inward cleanness. Are we putting on a show or is this actually reaching into my heart? We could say, you know, for example, participating in church is a great thing. It's not just a great thing. It's something we're commanded to do in scripture, but we can't equate just showing up with being changed. We have to actually open up our hearts and allow God to do his thing. Sometimes, you know, well, oftentimes the message that we get from our culture is, hey, I'm going to fit in with the world around me. I want to look as much like my neighbor as I can. I'm going to do what I want. God will forgive me maybe when I do this thing that even I know scripture says I shouldn't do. I'll watch what I want. I'll spend what I want. Listen to what I want. I'll hold a grudge against anyone I want. I'll cheat, you know, anytime I want. And, you know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't measure up to who God has called us to be. Or maybe it's just that we draw a line in the sand that God doesn't and say, if people don't agree with me on this because I'm pure in heart, that I feel is true for me, you know, that, that person is out. Basically, the difference in sentiment between us and God is this. Outward impurity is our natural tendency. Because I'm going to live in such a way that seems best to me. But God calls us to an inward out purity. I'm going to live in the way that is best, God's best for my soul. It's the clean living of purity that brings about blessing. So the second, the first connotation is clean, the second is sincerity, purity is sincerity. Sincerity is this idea that our hearts are unmixed, just like gold without impurities is pure and more valuable. Or maybe, you know, buying whole bean coffee beans and grinding your own, uh, if you happen to look up that 
FDA information. If you have purity without sincerity, once you become unclean, all bets are off. Stain that white t-shirt, you gotta toss it, right? Have a rough past or a present with some heavy sin. Sometimes people think that they're incapable of being forgiven or incapable of change. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross, it's not about the purity that we're able to accomplish, but it's about how God makes us clean through Jesus. Thus, this picture that we get from baptism, being our sin being washed away, being clean, which leads us to an ongoing pursuit of making our hearts familiar with the habit of purity. It's a habit that we develop. And this is consistent with God's character from the beginning. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, um, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then we find in Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 11, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? And this is not just for young persons. This is for young and medium and old and, and ancient and wise persons as well. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This, this idea of purity, the sincerity of making a habit within our hearts and our minds is consistent throughout Scripture. Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, the same body of text that we find the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When our hearts are directed not by, not by ourselves but by God, uh, they are f- when they're singularly focused on him, when they're not mixed with everything else, when they're sincere, that is when we start to see and experience God's blessing in our life. You know, we can look at our bank account and we can see what our priorities are. You know, just like we can do that, we can look at our heart. And we can see it our thoughts and we think about our statements and things that we say and what's behind them. And we can see the status of what are priorities of our heart and what they're guided by. And maybe even why we're having some difficulty seeing God in our life. If we trust and follow Jesus' kingdom, but also trust and follow our own kingdom with the same prominence, you know, we pick one and choose the other and we compartmentalize the two, then we're living a mixed life and our, and our eyes are not going to be focused on what God has for us to see. It's not the purity that Jesus calls us to. And so we're called to be pure in heart, to be clean and sincere so that we can see God. And and when Jesus says this, for us, it may seem, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, or people that are familiar with the New Testament and existence of Jesus, seeing God may not seem like that significant of a statement. But this this is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Even, even one of the rock stars of the faith, Moses, so, I mean, venerated as, as, a, um, as a, a father of the faith for, uh, for the nation of Israel. Even Moses didn't get to see God. He was the one who freed, you know, the, uh, the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. They were there for over 400 years. He was, the ones, he was the one that God gave the Ten Commandments to, to give to the people and to teach them to lead up to, uh, not into, but up to, you know, the borders of the promised land that God pro- promised them. And Moses has this encounter with God in Exodus chapter 33, but God tells Moses, you can't see my face for no one can see me and live. I mean, when we want to talk about purity, that, that's purity there because that's how powerful God's righteousness and glory and holiness really is in our lives. Is that we, we can't even, we can't even sur- survive seeing it face to face. So God lets his glory 
pass in part in front of Moses, but Moses never gets to see him. Now Jesus is telling us we can see God. And we can see God because we've seen him. Because he's enabled us to have hearts that are clean and sincere and pure. Mark Moore makes an excellent point here that I think, I think bears repeating. Because a lot of times, you know, it, it can be easy to fall into the trap of the Pharisees and make this in a, a religious um, expectation based on standards that God doesn't have. And he's, here's what he says. This is not our ticket to see God. It is an imperative prerequisite to cleaning the clutter from our spiritual eyes. God is not hiding from us. We have put blinders on that can only be removed by purity of heart. And Jesus is the one that makes this, this happen and enables us to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit so that we can develop this habit within our lives. We want to see God. We want to experience him. We want to have that connection and fellowship with him. We want his presence. But if our heart's divided, they're mixed and impure, then we aren't in a position to see him and we don't have the eyes to see. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And this purity isn't something that comes from within ourselves, but it's, it's us finally, finally relinquishing ourselves and our hearts and our minds and our souls over to God. Disciples of Jesus are characterized by a heart that is becoming more like God's. And that, that's what he calls us into in his purity. Pure motives, why we do things is to honor God, not honor ourselves. And so purity and heart on our own, this is what it leads to. It leads to self-righteous attitudes, inconsistent standards, and nothing ever being good enough. But pure, purity and heart in a godly manner, it, they are habits that develop purity and see God's character at work in our lives. And here's how that culminates together, is that the pure in heart will see God, but others will see God through us as well. And, and this, is, this is the key, is that it's not just about, it's not just about us. It's not about our own self-righteousness and our own self-interest. It's also so that others can see God as well. And God calls us to start from the inside and work out, work outwardly. And, and he calls us to think of this in terms of, of eternity. Think about what heaven is going to be like when it comes to what is pure and impure. You know, the things that God says are not going to be in heaven. The mourning, the crying, the tears, the pain, the suffering. Those are, those are the things that God's going to, going to do away with. He's going to, you know, the ultimate, his ultimate justice and mercy and grace and love and hope, like all those things are going to be fulfilled in, in that moment. And so we've got to look inwardly at our hearts and say, is that, is that what my motivation is guided by? Is it by something else? Is it something here? Is it something temporary? See, one of these days, God's going to call us to him and we'll be face to face with him. And when he looks at us, he's not going to say, ah, oh, did, did you live according to your standards perfectly? Did you get everyone else around you to live to your standards perfectly? He's going to say, did you, did you know my son? Because he did everything just right. And he did it all from the right motivations. He did it all from the right perspective because he is, he is who I am. And that's, that's what we're called into. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It's a promise that we have when our character, when our nature is modeled after God's. Let me pray for us.
God, it's, it's easy to seek out um, divisions within our, in our own heart, within our own relationships, with uh, the people that we are neighbors with, coworkers with, uh, enemies with, whatever it may be, based on standards that we set. And the ironic thing is that we don't even live up to our own standards. God, calls, God you call us to, to something that um, isn't even anything close to what we could accomplish, but it is a perfect standard. It is an actual pure standard. And God, we praise you, we glorify you, we celebrate the fact that you make that happen for us through Jesus. That despite our sin and the fact that we don't deserve it, uh, despite the fact that we will never be pure um, on our own, that, that you purify us as you are pure through your son Jesus. God, thank you for washing away those sins. Thank you for clothing us, clothing, uh, clothing us with your son, Jesus. And we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.